morning, Southbridge. We're beginning a new series today, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. If you want, you can go and turn your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 5 right now. Before we actually get into the series, though, I just want to share with you, um, last week, Pastor Jason had mentioned how we had several people come to Christ during our commission series, and that God was changing lives. I want to let you know we had somebody else trust Christ last week, and so we rejoice in that. Yeah, we can give the Lord a hand for that. Uh, I, ho- I want you to know, though, too, it just serves as a reminder to us that uh, what we read in the scriptures is not just something God did a long time ago. He's at work today and now. And some of you uh, maybe are the person that needs to come to Christ next. And so you're listening to this, maybe you come to the church for a little while, checking stuff out. I actually talked to a guy at one of my kids' soccer games yesterday. He doesn't go to our church. And I was just talking to him about church and Jesus. And he told me how he ended up going to a church because somebody at a bar told him, don't go to that church because they are serious about Jesus. And I thought to myself, I hope that we would be the church that people would say that at some bar. And, and then he said he went to this church for about 10 months and he'd sit in the back and he'd kind of hide out and he was checking it out. And then one day he got up in the morning and he decided, I'm either going to kill myself or I'm going to trust Christ. And so he's an extreme guy. He trusted Christ. God's using him in amazing ways now. And that might be you. And maybe God has a plan for you in this series, maybe today. And perhaps one of you came here today, um, even thinking those types of thoughts. And I hope that today is the day of salvation for you. And those of you who have already trusted Christ, I hope you'd ask yourself too, is it done then? So am I done? I kind of kick it into neutral, kind of cruise control on a long road trip, just waiting for Jesus to come back or for me to die, or does God still have more for you? So I'm going to pray for us as we get into the series, and uh, then we're going to talk about what I believe that the Lord has for each one of us. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you're not done working on me, on anyone that will hear these words, that you have a plan. That's why we're still here, and you have a plan for our lives, and I pray that you would speak into our hearts, and that you'd change us, that we'd open up the scriptures, we'd encounter you, we'd see you, and that you would draw us to yourself because of your majesty and beauty and glory, and that you'd transform us and through just seeing your holiness, your righteousness, your power. And we speak into each one of our, our hearts individually, answer questions that maybe are hang-ups for us, Deal with pain. Deal with whatever it is that's going on in our lives. And fill that void, that emptiness that so many of us feel. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, today we're beginning the series, and you saw that the, the, you can just tell by the title what the, the theme, the topic is, is happiness. We're going to be looking at a sermon that Jesus preached where he talked about this in Matthew chapter 5. When you think about the different series we do as a church, some of them are really targeted towards specific people groups. Like this summer we did Red Letters. Now think about that. If you're a random person that doesn't go to church and you get a, a letter in the mail that says, hey, we're starting a series called Red, you don't care about that. Like this is, that's for Christians that are interested in what Jesus has to say. And so that's a narrow audience. But then we did this commission series. That's an even more narrow audience because that's people that don't just want, they're not just interested in what Jesus has to say. They're people that want to live on mission for Jesus. And then I was thinking through different things we preached over the past year. We went verse by verse through Philippians. That's really only for Christians because it starts off at the beginning of the book. For he who began a good work in you. And so it's only for those who've crossed the starting line of faith. Like you're, you're running the race of faith. And so you want to continue in faith. You work out your salvation. You press on. It talks about through the book of Philippians. We, even, we studied Habakkuk. Most people don't even know Habakkuk's in the Bible. So if you want to, if you want to like, you got to really be serious to be studying Habakkuk, right? Well, today we're going to start this series. We're talking about a topic that applies. It doesn't even matter what religion you are, what race you are, what gender you are, how old you are. Everybody wants to know about happiness. We're all pursuing it in every way throughout our lives. And it's a spiritual desire that we have. Many of us are confused about what God has to say about it. We're going to look at that. But just think about the desire that each one of us has. It's in our founding documents as a country in America. The Declaration of Independence, July 4, 1776. 
So some guys that lived a long time before us wrote down at the beginning of the document, it's a founding document for our country, we hold these truths to be self-evident, meaning everybody should just know this. this is, we didn't, shouldn't even have to write this down, but we will. That all men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable, those are undeniable, you cannot take them away, rights. That among these are, and it lists three, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And you think about happiness, it's continually being pushed on us. Like if you just did this, you'd be happy. If you just had this, you'd be, if you'd buy the Lincoln Town Car, you'd be happy. No, if you bought the Prius, you'd be happy. No, the BMW tells you when your mother-in-law's over through text message, you'd be happy. Like get these things. If you go on this vacation, Alaskan cruise, if you could just escape all the worries and see bears eating fish and all this kind of stuff, you'd be happy. Go live in the mountains of Tennessee for a week, then you'd be happy. I even, there are even commercials for Michigan, pure Michigan. I'm from Michigan. Let me tell you something. People don't retire and move to Michigan, okay? Just, they move here. But they're all promising happiness. And we're all going after it. A mathematician and philosopher, Blaise Pascal, said it like this. We, all men, seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ. And so we all have different worldviews and different thoughts that we have about this. And some go to war because of it, and some don't go to war because of it. And so we can choose opposite extremes, but we're all pursuing happiness. And then catch that last line. This is the motive of every action, of every man or, and woman, even those who hang themselves, he says. If I just get out of this pain, get out of this pressure, if I can just escape this, whatever's after this has to be better. And so whether you agree with the decisions people make and the paths and the pursuits they have, we're all going after happiness. Now put that together with most people's view of God. Most people think of God as a cosmic killjoy. That God doesn't want you to have any fun. He doesn't want you to have pleasure. He's certainly anti-happiness. And if you're really going to pursue him, you're going to sleep on a cement floor forever in some monastery. And then there's the rest of us that are just kind of like, well, I'm good enough to get into heaven, right? And we hope. And, and that's a lot of people's view of God. I want to tell you something as we go through the series that we plan to teach you, is that God wants you to be happy. The problem is that most of us are going down the wrong path pursuing it. And so we're going to look at that in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at the right path. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, it's the introduction. It's the very beginning of a sermon that Jesus preaches. The sermon's in Matthew chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7. If you want to read the whole thing, you can read the whole thing in probably 10 or 15 minutes. But what we have in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is really a summary of what he preached. Some people believe that he preached perhaps for several days, and the crowds grew <laughs> as he was preaching. Think about that. If I preached for several days, I promise it would filter out. And Jesus preaching, and this is the, probably the most famous sermon that's ever been preached, not just because it was preached by Jesus, because Jesus preaches just in Matthew chapter 5, there's five discourses, in Matthew chap, the book of Matthew, there's five different discourses. So he preaches multiple sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's not famous because of the mountain that he preaches on, because no one actually knows what mountain he preaches on. Now, if you go on a tour in Israel, they'll show you a place, say, this is very likely where he preached, and they're just looking for a place where the acoustics would work, where he could preach to a bunch of people without a, a microphone, and where he'd be elevated and you could see him. But no one actually knows. It's not the mountain that makes this famous. It's not even just the preacher. It's the content of what this particular preacher, Jesus, says. In the introduction, it's all about happiness. He starts with this word. He does what's oftentimes called the Beatitudes, these blessing statements. There's eight blessing statements. Each one starts with the Greek word, makarios, which can also be translated fortunate or deeply happy. And what's been happening is that Jesus started his ministry. He started uh, what his message is in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That means repent means you're going down a, a path. Stop and turn and come down a different path. And then he calls his first followers, Matthew chapter 4 verse 20, calls some fishermen to come follow him. 
And then comes a couple other fishermen to come follow him. And then you get this summary of the ministry he does. He starts a teaching and healing ministry, and large crowds start to come. And so there's, he's really popular right now. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. Now when, the, when he saw the crowds, so there's one part of the audience, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. That's how uh, teachers would teach then, with authority. They would teach sitting down. His disciples came to him. And so the first thing we notice is we've got two different audiences here. We've got the crowds. They've been seeing Jesus heal every disease that he's come into contact with. He's been healing. He's been teaching. He's been doing amazing ministry. And so people are interested. He's popular. They're coming to hear. And then there's also the disciples. Those are people that have already made a commitment to him. The ones that he called in chapter 4 and verse 20. And that's who he's really teaching to. And so he shares these things knowing that there are those there that have not followed him yet and it'll be impossible for these to be a reality in, his li- in their lives. And then there are those who've made a commitment to him and that's who this is really for. Because God's supernaturally working in their lives and what we're about to read is supernatural stuff. Look at what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit or happy are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Happy are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Happy or blessed or fortunate are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? For they will be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed, happy, fortunate are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verses 11 and 12 are really an addition to that eighth beatitude in verse 10. It says, Blessed are you when people insult you, talking about persecution, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this is the pathway to happiness. Did you read the list? It does not sound quite that way. It sounds like a list of, if you really want to have a a stinky life, if you want things to really go poorly, if you want it to be bad, be poor, be hungry, be, if you really want to be happy, mourn. This guy's lost it. Like what, if someone said that to you and it wasn't Jesus and it wasn't from a famous sermon, no one would agree with this. No one would believe this. And here's why. Because that word makarios is not the same way that we oftentimes think of happiness. What Jesus is talking about here goes beyond what most of us can comprehend. It has an Old Testament background. It means to be deeply satisfied and secure. It's have an inner satisfaction that can't actually be touched by our circumstances. Most of us, when we think of happiness, the root word that we use for it in, in English is, is happen, and in happenstance, circumstances. It's based on if I had a good environment, if everything was going really well. And so then we read poverty and persecution and hunger, and we think that's not the path to happiness. And what Jesus is giving us is a different path towards the thing that we're actually going for in our lives that will never be figured out here. How are you ever, if you have a spiritual need, how's that ever going to be fulfilled by buying something physical? That logically doesn't even make sense, but we do it. Maybe the reality is, is that we're pursuing something that's not being sold in the stores where we shop, that's not being put on display in the venues that we're looking Maybe we're going after something. It's in our souls, it's in our hearts. That's why each one of us is going after it. It does require a different path. And what it is is something we haven't even been given an accurate picture of what it is. Most of us, when we think of happiness, think of something that's very temporary and very circumstantial. And Jesus is talking about something far deeper than that. 
just when I was writing the, the sermon this week, I was going through, I was just taking a mental break. I hopped on social media. I saw I had several friends that were one guy from Michigan, guy from South Carolina, guy from Texas. None of them even, I don't even think they know each other. And they're all at Disney World. The happiest place on earth, right? And so they're hashtagging their pictures, happy spot, happy place, happy memories, talking about the stuff they're doing. And I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, I've been to Disney, taking our kids there. It's a, it's a unique place. I'm not saying anything bad about Disney. Hair flying, people dressed up like princesses. It was awesome. Let me tell you what's not awesome. When you get in the car at the end of that week and you leave Orlando and your newborn child starts crying, not because you're leaving Disney, just because you're in the car. And guess what? You're going to be in the car for a long time. And she starts crying from Orlando to about Georgia. Happiness just went out the window, okay? I don't care how awesome Disney was. The happiness is gone. I'm thinking a lot about duct tape at that moment. But anyway. Because the kind of happiness we're talking about is based on our circumstances. The problem for us when we read the Beatitudes, when we read these blessed statements, is most of us don't even have a category for what Jesus is talking about when he says Macarius. Something that transcends circumstances that's a true inner happiness. And so we talk about it all the time, be like, yeah, yeah, it's out there, it's okay. And it's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever read, C.S. Lewis talks about the kingdom of heaven, and he talks about uh, sex. He puts them in, a, I don't think I'm going to do that quote, but he puts it um, together talking about sex, and he shares about uh, a father sharing with his young son about the physical pleasures of sex. And the young son has no category for this. He thinks it's weird, it sounds uncomfortable. The greatest pleasure that this kid can think of is eating chocolate. And so he says to his dad, so if it's that great, do you get to eat chocolate while you do it? And to the dad, it's like, well, you're not even thinking about chocolate in that moment. What are you talking about? You're like, he doesn't get, they don't have the same categories. And what Jesus is giving us here, we can't, we can't even get it because we haven't seen it. We haven't experienced it. He's trying to show us this is what your soul is actually longing for. And it's on a path that you would never even guess. It's a new normal which is the main point for this message, it really sets up the whole series. That if we want true happiness, we must pursue a new normal. If we want true happiness, we must pursue a new normal. And here's why, because what we're doing isn't working. Jesus calls us to repentance. It's how we begin a relationship with him. What does that mean? You're going on a path. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death, Proverbs say. And so Jesus calls to repent, stop, and turn. There's a new path. And so he's showing us a new normal. And we see that just by making some observations of the text. And so if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. If you have a copy of the scripture, whether it's on your phone or whatever, we won't be able to put up all the verses here. But just look back at those 12 verses that we read. And the first step in, in studying your Bible is just to make observate. What do you see when you look at a passage? You don't have to figure out what it means. You don't have to figure out how it applies to your life. But just what is it? What do you see here? And if you you notice the structure of these, you'll notice each one of these statements are the same. And so we're going to have the same format for every message in this series. The structure is, it starts off with a statement of blessing. Blessed, happy, fortunate, however you want to say that first word. And there's eight of them, and it goes through. And then the, the next part is, blessed, who are blessed? And it describes the people. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are, and it says these, blessed, and then it describes the person. And then there's a statement, depending on your translation, it either says because or for. It's the same Greek word. And it says, here's the reason why they're blessed. And you'll notice the blessing correlate, why they're blessed correlates with who they are. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because they're, be, they're hungry, they will be filled. But did you notice when you look at all of them, the first one and the last one have the same reason for their blessing. So verse 3 and verse 10, we'll put those up on the screen. Same reason. For theirs, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10, 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They both have the same reason. That's what's called, what Bible scholars call, inclusio. Uh, an envelope effect. Like you stuff a letter in an envelope. It's packaged on each side. A picture frame or bookends on a bookshelf. It's framed that way. We saw this when we were, we were doing the series commission a couple weeks ago. I was sharing with you about God's presence. And talked about how the book of Matthew actually is an inclusio. It starts at the very beginning, talking about Emmanuel, talking about the birth of Jesus. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And then the very last statement in the book of Matthew is a prompt, Lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. It's about his presence. And so that means, what that means is everything that's in between has the theme of God's presence. Here in this passage, we've got this other inclusio, and it's the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, verse 3. And then verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Also, those two are in present tense. Every other promise here is future tense. And so yours is the kingdom of heaven, here and now. Some of these things are going to be fulfilled when Jesus comes back or you get to heaven. But this is yours now. The kingdom of heaven. And what's being given to us here, everything between verse 3 and verse 10 is about the kingdom of heaven, a new kingdom. And what he's presenting to us are the norms of that kingdom. This is what it looks like. And he's speaking to his disciples. This is not how to get into the kingdom. This isn't if you really want the blessings. There's no commands here, by the way. These are statements that say, this is what it looks like to live a kingdom life. He's called his disciples. Now he's giving them this teaching. Here's what it looks like to live as a disciple. How you get into the kingdom of heaven? It's what he said in chapter 4, verse 17. You repent. You turn to Jesus Christ. You surrender your life to him. That happens by faith. It's not, some, not your works. It's not something you get credit for the problem for many of us as believers is then we think well now i just got to work now that i've trusted jesus by faith now i got to work really hard no it's then you live by faith what does it look like to live by faith that's what the beatitudes tell us and that's ultimately the life that leads to happiness the problem for us is it's so new it's a new normal but he came to make all things new the old is gone and new has come he washes us clean we are cleansed of our sin and how to walk on a new path of life, which would be incredibly different than the one that's seen in this world. Another interesting observation of this passage goes a little bit further than the text we're actually in today. If you read verses 13 through 16 in Matthew chapter 5, it's the vision of our church. It's our dream that Raleigh-Durham will become a city on a hill, that people wouldn't move here because of the demographics and because of the studies and because of the jobs, but because they sense God's presence here and they would praise our Father who's in heaven. Because the lives that we live is salt and light. And guess what? If verses 3 through 12 are true, verses 13 through 16 will be true. And so you want to see your one come to Christ? We talk about as a church, we want every member of our church to have at least one person they're praying for to come to Christ. No, Jesus. You want to see them come to Christ? Try living a new normal. You want to see your spouse come to Jesus? Some of you trusted Christ, your spouse hasn't. Try showing them a new normal. You want your neighbors to see that you're different? You know, the light doesn't just in darkness and exist. It changes the environment. Salt is different. It makes a difference. And so you want to make a difference, you've got to be different. And that's what we're given here in verses 3 through 12. Is what does it look like to actually live different? It's a new normal. Here's the problem. It seems odd to us. And some people will take a passage like this and say, well, it's because Jesus was a revolutionary. He turned everything upside down. No, what Jesus is actually doing here is showing us the world that you're living in, everything is upside down. I'm showing you how it should be. I'm showing you what it restored to the kingdom life, the kingdom norm. This is normal. This is not revolutionary. This is the new normal for you. The problem is you think what you're living in is normal. And that happens to all of us. We get in our environment, we just think things are normal. 
Never go out to eat with someone from another country? You sit down at an American restaurant? What's the deal with these portions? You look at your plate and go, well, that's normal. I don't think they give me a little bit more, you know, fries, you know. It's normal to us. It seems odd to everyone else. I've shared with you in sermons before about other cultures and things that they'll do, and they seem odd to us. Like, I, I remember sharing with you one time, people in a, a one culture, they toss babies out the window, and they catch them with sheets underneath the window, some way to dedicate them, bless them at the beginning of their lives. <laughs> Sounds crazy to me. Some people, they'll pierce all kinds of parts of their face and their ears and other things in other countries, and it's normal there. It seems abnormal here. But think about the stuff that we do this season. Tailgating. Interesting concept. That's normal for us. So you go way before the game starts in the parking lot and you cook out of the trunk of your car. But you have a kitchen. Imagine explaining that. So our friends are going to Madagascar. Some of our friends here are sitting in the front row. Imagine they meet some guy in a tribe that's never heard, never watched television, never heard of America, and you plop them down in America and say, hey, we're going to the NC State game. Okay, but you have a TV. All right, we're going to go there, and we're going to cook out of the back, but you have this nice oven at your house and a stove there. But it's a, it's a cheaper, and it's not as nice, and the food won't be as good, but it's going to be awesome. And then we're going to go out in the parking lot, and we're going to play yard games, but you're not in a yard. It's just, it makes sense. Trust me. We think it's normal. That's not normal. And some of you are anti-Halloween, anti-trick-or-treating. Some of you are not. So I'm just going to, don't email me about any of this. But I'm just going to tell you some people what they do. As they go trick-or-treating with their kids. All year long, we tell kids, don't wander the streets at night. Don't talk to strangers. And never, never, never take candy from strangers. What do we do on Halloween? We wander the streets with our kids. We send them up to, and we tell them to threaten people that if they don't give them candy, they're going to do something to them. That's normal. <laughs> Because we're used to it, it's normal. You know what's normal in our culture? Sin. You know what's odd? Holiness. It's normal to be greedy. It's abnormal to be generous. It's normal to try and find happiness by your accomplishments. It's normal to find happiness through your rewards. It's normal to find happiness because of some position you hold. It's normal to find happiness because of some selfish thing that you've done. It's normal to find happiness from some parasitic, codependent relationship. So those are all normal things. When we look at the scriptures, that's not normal. That's abnormal. And what Jesus is calling for here is a new normal. The problem is we're so immersed, you will get, you won't get this message 365 days a year, 24-7-ish, other than when you're looking at the scriptures. There's nowhere, no billboard advertisement. You're going to have something pop up on your computer screen. There's not going to be the commercial when you're watching football today. You are not going to get this message anywhere other than from Jesus. So what's normal? The kingdom, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everything in between there is all about the kingdom of heaven. This is what's normal for the kingdom of heaven. So then we have to ask ourselves, do we want to live according to that or according to the other stuff that we're being promised? Because that other stuff is a mirage. You're constantly being told, well, if you just had this, if, if it was this circumstance, it's like Adam and Eve in the garden. You want real happiness? Who cares if it's an apple or pomegranate or whatever? There's this piece of fruit. It wasn't about the fruit. You can have independence from God. You can be like God. And the fruit had to be good to eat. It had to look good. It had to taste good in that moment. But that's the mirage. And then what did they get? It wasn't happiness. It was separation from God. What they needed wasn't a declaration of independence. They needed dependence upon God. And they rejected that. And they got the consequences. And we see it over and over and over played out in our lives. But we, for some reason we don't think, well, maybe there's another path. We continually see people following the path that we're being told to take, and it doesn't work. Lamar Odom this week. You can pray for him. I'm not condemning him and saying this, these statements, but if you don't know who he is, NBA player, 
incredibly famous, fat, rich. It was on television, had a television show, and had a wife, had kids, making tons of money. And then he was found this week unconscious in a brothel taking uh, cocaine and sexual enhancement drugs. But he had everything, every path that you're told to go down, you can track through his life and see if he had the money. I bet you on the day he was drafted, he was happy, based on the way that we define happiness. I bet you when, when he had to enjoy ta- doing the cocaine or else, why would anyone do it? It's enjoyable in that moment. But that's not the pleasure he was seeking. That's what most of us will do and spend our lives doing. Going down paths that are a mirage. They look, they look, I'm thirsty and I'm in the desert and there's water and we get a mouthful of sand. It's a lie. And Jesus offers another way. But we're going to look at it and go, well, wait, if I go, that doesn't make sense because how can poverty, how can meekness, how can persecution, how can that possibly, I don't believe it. And we have to ultimately, it's a faith decision. Do we believe Jesus or do we believe all the other stuff that we're being promised? And what Jesus is calling us to is a new normal. And so how do we live out the new normal? Well, each one of these builds on the other. And so we have to go through them one by one. The first one is foundational. It was in verse 3. This is how we experience true happiness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We must be the poor in spirit. And so true happiness, we must realize that life's not about us. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. You, you, re- you have to realize, that, hey, this whole thing doesn't revolve around us. Your life actually isn't about you. And so that's the first step. That's the foundational piece that you must learn that your life is not about you. You must know that. Read this whole book, by the way. The Bible is living and active. It pierces our hearts. It changes our lives. But I promise you, you're not in here. Now, you might be named Eli, and there was a guy named Eli in here. Get it. Totally understand. Your name, you might be, so you're, you might be Matthew, and you're like, what are you talking about? I'm not in here. This isn't you, okay? You're not in this book. You know who is in this book? Jesus. You know what we do with our lives? We make our lives all about us. Like, we can't even fathom that everyone around us right now isn't thinking about us. Why aren't they thinking about me? Because that's all I'm thinking about is me. Well, that's part of your problem. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you were bought at a price. You don't even belong to you anymore. And the lies that you're being told about how you needing to be independent and the world needing to revolve around you, that doesn't work. The first thing you need to realize is it's not about you, and that's the first part of being poor in spirit. I'm talking about being poor in spirit here. What Jesus is talking about is dependence upon him. It's a realization that your story isn't actually about you, it's actually about him, and the more that you make it about him, that's how you were created and designed to live, was to glorify him, then the greater the thing that you're searching for, the happiness that you long for, it will become a reality for you. But you, the first step is the complete and total dependence upon him, which is something that most of us, we start our Christian journey understanding, but then we forget it. But it's actually the way that we live our Christian journey is dependent upon him every day, acknowledging we're dependent upon him. I, the, think about Jesus when, when the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. What ends up happening is he grabs a child, brings a child, sets a child on his lap, says, you want to be great? You've got to be like this child. And Peter didn't think to himself, I can never be that cute. Like, think about what kids bring to the table. They don't bring much to the table. They're cute. I've got several of them. They don't offer a whole lot. They're cute. I have yet to see one of them bring a, a carton of eggs into my house, though. I mean, I'm bringing a lot to the table. I'm hanging out with my kids last week, doing what a bunch of you were doing. We did Southbridge Serves, Pastor John mentioned in the announcements. We're going through this neighborhood over here by Briar Creek Elementary School and collecting food for the Durham Rescue Mission and handing out door hangers for inviting people to our new series. 
And our two oldest daughters are with me, and they're doing awesome. We get, you know, halfway through this, we've got way more stuff than we can possibly get done in the time that we have time frame for. And so I'm trying to be strategic, trying to push them, kind of guilty of that in general in our family, being a pusher. And they start telling me, i got to go to the bathroom. We're in the middle of this neighborhood. I'm like, we're not going to ask somebody if we can go to the bathroom. So I'm like, all right, a couple more houses. And I thought to myself, sometimes they're like cats. Like, if you just distract them, you know, they'll forget that they had to go to the bathroom. So I'm like, all right, a couple more houses, a couple more houses. I do that a few times. And uh, one of our daughters, she never asked to go. My wife and I say that she's like a tank. And then she goes, I gotta go, Dad! Like, moaning it to me. I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Like, we're past the limit here. We're past the time. But I didn't know what to do. So I said, all right, a couple more houses. Like, let's just get a couple more houses. And then my other daughter, she looks at me and says, Dad, you don't know. You're an adult. You get to do what you want, when you want. We have to do whatever you say pretty awesome well i thought to myself at that moment you're right i wasn't thinking about their world i was forgetting about their world it's like in that moment i entered back into their world up until that point i just thought any of their needs were like an inconvenience to me and so what we ended up doing is we found out there was a community center where they were having a wedding that day and the doors were open so we went in went to the bathroom in there they come home they tell mom we went to this wedding and we went to the bathroom like that is not how it happened that's not what took place but whatever but when they said that statement I mean, we realize you, every, you're totally dependent on us. Everything in your life. You know what Jesus says to us? Apart from me, you can do nothing. He actually means that. There will be nothing of eternal significance that you do in your life. So how are you going to do anything if actually this is a spiritual need? Anything that actually brings you happiness in your own life, you can't produce it. You can't do it. And here's the thing about Jesus. Your needs are not an inconvenience to him. He gave his own life to meet your greatest need. And it's going to be through that sacrifice that this other desire that we all have, every human being has, will be fulfilled. How? He says the language, it's interesting language here, poverty of spirit, poor in spirit. There are two Greek words for poverty. One means that you have just enough to get by. Meaning you just have, you have enough money to pay the bills. You've got enough money to, you, can't, you don't have any extra. It's not about tomorrow. You don't have enough for tomorrow, but you've got enough for today. And so if you've ever been there, you can, you can imagine that. Think about that. I was thinking about this week. Um, Pastor Jason, I don't know if you're in here. I, the lights are in my eyes. But yeah, Jason, do you remember when we were in college and we get to the end of the semester, we had no food? And Jason and I lived in an apartment together and we didn't have any food, but we were able to think about some things. And we knew some girls on campus and we'd invite them over for like a taco party and they'd bring food and then there'd be leftovers for like several days. That is a level of poverty. That is poor. There are some, some of you think about you've been on mission trips. What's the, what's, the, what's the biggest poverty you've seen on a mission trip? I've been to Madagascar. I've seen, uh, I remember seeing a guy one time um, let his cow go in a puddle and then go into the puddle and bathe himself. Pretty poor. But he had clothes on. There's another word for poverty, and it means you don't even have enough to meet your needs. That's the word that's used here. So there's one kind of poverty where you're just getting by. This is worse than that. This is you don't have any clothes. And you don't have any means to get clothes. Do you know what you turn into? A beggar. That's what's being talked about here. To be poor in spirit means not only are your needs not met, you don't have the resources to meet those needs or to gain the resources necessary to meet those needs. You are helpless. 
I thought about titling this message, Happy Are the Helpless. But some people might have walked up and been like, I'm not going into that. That's what Jesus is saying here. You have to be utterly and completely and totally dependent to the point where you become like a beggar. You see it in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew's the guy who writes this. He writes about his own testimony in Matthew chapter 9. You can also find it in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5. He's called Levi in those passages because the guys that are his friends that are writing the things are trying to really protect him. He just writes it straight up, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, what ends up happening is that Matthew gets called to come follow Jesus. Who Matthew is, he's a tax collector. He's sitting at a tax collector's booth. Everybody despises Matthew. Everyone hates him because he's embezzling money from them. He's also thought of as unclean. That means you can't come worship at the temple. You're not allowed to come to church. You're too bad. Jesus at a high point in his ministry, Matthew chapter 9, he's just healed a guy and everybody's excited about him. They're coming around him and Jesus says, I want Matthew to come be one of my 12 closest followers. And so Matthew comes to follow Jesus. Then he has a party. And at his party, guess who he invites? Who do you know if you're a guy that's unclean? Other unclean people. So he invites other tax collectors. He invites prostitutes. He invites all the outcasts of society. And they're having a meal. And Jesus is the host. The way that he's functioning in the passage, he's hosting the meal. That means he's accepting. He's showing fellowship with these people. Some religious leaders come. They peek into the window of the party. And they're appalled at what they see with Jesus hosting these people. Some of Jesus' disciples come outside the party to get a breath of fresh air. And the religious guys say, what's he doing with these kinds of people? This is ridiculous. He calls himself a teacher. And he's hanging out with them. Jesus hears about it. He comes outside and he says this verse. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You go figure that out, guys. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Their problem wasn't that they were righteous. There are none righteous, not one person other than Jesus Christ has walked the earth. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The problem is not their righteousness. The problem is they don't see their problem. I mean, doctors can't help people who don't think they have a problem. When I get sick, my wife will say, hey, you should go to the doctor. I'll be fine. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, he's not going to help me anyway. He's going to tell me to rest, whatever. He doesn't know what he's doing. Sorry, if you're a doctor, I'm wrong. Just so you know, I admit that. But in the moment, my pride is, I'll just get better. It'll just be okay. That's how these guys were. I don't need a doctor. And so Jesus is saying, you don't need, why do you even care who I'm eating with? You don't need me. I came to help people who need me. Do you recognize your need? That's the beginning of poverty of spirit. To be poor in spirit is you have to know you have a need. So you can't even be a Christian if you haven't at least experienced poverty of spirit. Because that's how we all begin. That's if you go to our Celebrate Recovery ministry. That's the first step. And, and the 12 steps are Christ-centered a 12-step program that we have, that's the first step. You're powerless. You can't do this. You must start there. The same thing is the first step of becoming a Christian. You can't, you're not a Christian if you haven't come to the place where you realize, I can't save myself. I'm powerless to do this. I need God. What happens is that many of us start there, and then for whatever reason, we were around church for a little while, and we learned some lingo, we know when to stand up, when to sit down, when to fight, fight, fight. We, I don't know. We, we, something happens. And we start to think we don't need them quite as much. We needed them for that. But I'll figure this happiness thing out. We needed them for salvation. But I got my budget. I'll raise my kids. I'll take care of the job decisions. And we don't think we need them anymore. I hope we don't become that church.
He talks to a church that's like that. In Revelation chapter 3, I'm going to read you verses 15 through 20, but really focus on verses 17 and 18. Verse 15, he says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He's not real happy with them. That's what's happening here. In verse 17, you say, here's your perception. This is what you think is true. I am rich because they were materially rich. I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. I've got this. But you don't realize it's your perspective that's the problem. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That had to be insulting because they were actually known for eye medications in this community. They had incredible clothing on in this worship environment, and he just calls them naked and poor and pitiful and blind. And then he says, I counsel you. Buy for me gold refined by the fire. You can't. He's telling them to do something that's not possible. Uh, So you can cover your shameful nakedness and put salve on your eyes so you can see. He's frustrated with them. He's mocking them. Those whom I love, I rebuke. It's because of love. And I discipline. So be earnest. And here's what you do. Repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come to him and I will eat with him. I will accept him and he will be with me and we will have fellowship and I want a relationship with you but you're not, you won't get it if I just say it tenderly. So let me tell you something. You make me sick. I want to spit you out of my mouth because you don't realize your need. You don't realize your poverty. You are thinking it's about a declaration of independence when it should be about a dependence upon me. It begins foundational with a need for poverty of spirit. And so the question for us today is this. How does that happen? If we didn't come in here feeling like beggars towards God, how do we become that? Well, I must have to think about how bad I am. No, that'll actually produce the exact opposite, just so you know. If you start doing a bunch of steps, by very nature, the fact that you're doing steps will be the opposite of what needs to take place here. This has to be a work of God in your life. If you start thinking about, this is how bad I am, and yeah, I did do this, and this sin was really bad. And you know what that leads to? That leads to self-pity, self-deprecation, which is a form of pride. Because what you're doing is you're thinking a whole lot about yourself. It's actually the same as arrogance. It's just packaged differently. They're both the same problem. What you need to do is take your eyes off yourself and get a look at God. The very thing that Pastor Jad was leading us to do in our worship time. Here's who he is. It's it's the definition of, of worship at our church. It's to see God accurately. Then you know what happens in our lives? We will respond appropriately. Because it gives us an accurate picture about us. Because it's not about us. And you see it, every person who encounters God in the scripture, they leave changed individually. Not just greater knowledge about who God is, not just that was an amazing experience. You don't see anybody, but just like, oh, that was pretty cool. And you start looking through the scriptures, whether it's Moses, Gideon, David, you start going through all these different people. You see Isaiah, and Isaiah chapter 6 has this incredible encounter with God, where he's in the throne room of God, and there are angels that are there, And it says the angels have six wings. Two wings, they cover their face. Two wings, they cover their feet. They're humbling themselves. And with two wings, they're flying around. That alone, I'd be like, that's sweet. It's not what Isaiah says. They're singing, holy, holy, holy is God. In fact, they're singing so loud that the doorposts are shaking on heaven. And Isaiah doesn't say, man, I knew there'd be bass in heaven. I told you it'd be loud. Get your earplugs. You don't like it. Instead, he responds with himself. I don't deserve to be here. Woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. He's just seen God. His robe is filling the throne room. 
Imagine the smoke billowing up and doorposts are shaking and the angels are singing. And he says, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. He sees God accurately and he responds appropriately. That's our core value of encountering God. That's what we desire every time we open the scriptures. That's what we desire every time we sing a song. That we would see God accurately and that when we would respond appropriately. Because it naturally, when you put your eyes on Jesus, it naturally changes you when you see him for who he truly is, not for who we want to make him into being. It happened with Peter. Think about Peter. Peter's bold, arrogant, outspoken guy. In Luke chapter 5, when he realizes Jesus isn't just a good teacher, but he is God in the flesh, what does Peter do? When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at his knees and he said, Go away from me, I'm a sinful man. Peter didn't whip himself on the back for a while, think about all the bad things he had done, then come up with, here's how sinful I am. No, he saw Jesus, and he became overwhelmed with his own sinfulness. In the book of Revelation, you've got John. John's stranded on the island of Patmos. He hears what comes from behind him like rushing waters. It's the voice of the resurrected Christ. He turns around. Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, describe what he sees in the resurrected Christ. Read that. Then verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then God graciously says, get up. Just like in Isaiah 6, he sends the angels to cleanse the lips of Isaiah. And then you've got Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. Then you've got John. John then gets used to write, to give us a picture. You want to look at God? Read the book of Revelation. Peter, and how he uses Peter. Yeah, when do you come? Then God starts to use you. So then we've got, for these are the norms of the kingdom. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Live out these norms. Then verses 13 through 16. And guess what? And God uses you. And it's not about you. And you experience the inner satisfaction and joy that you've longed for because you're experiencing him. And you stop making your life all about you. We're all on the pursuit. It's an unalienable right. It's in every person. And everything we do, we're stepping after it. The question is, what path will we go down? The path that Jesus lays out here not just in this one, although if you miss this one and start with the other ones, you'll blow the whole deal. They each build on each other. But this new normal, where you realize your need, and it's a need daily. You want to fight pride? Try getting on your knees every morning and saying, God, I, I need you. I depend upon you. And start there. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, humbled, that you want to talk to us, that you haven't just wiped us out. But you are gracious and you are kind and you are patient. You're not willing that any would perish. You want us to come to repentance. I pray if there are those who need to come to repentance today and surrender their lives to Jesus, I pray that they would do that. And if you can do that in this moment, just call upon Jesus as your Savior. That's going to be your Savior right now. Father, I pray for those that need to do like the church of Laodicea and repent. We've thought that we've got this under control. We think we can handle it. And we are poor and blind and naked and the issue is not our need. It's that we don't even see our need. Help us to see it. Reveal it to us. And God, thanks for walking with us and thanks for meeting those needs and thanks for not thinking of our inconvenience but loving us so much that you'd give your own life for us. We want to worship you. We want to see you. In Jesus' name I pray.